You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Named the best podcast of 2018 by Apple. Tons of fascinating guests. Untold stories you won't hear anywhere else. Expand your wisdom and discover other perspectives that you've never considered before with The Jordan Harbinger Show. Join Jordan as he interviews high-profile people as well as intriguing personalities. Each episode features a discussion that might just take you anywhere. I recommend episode 970, where Jordan and guest Annie Jacobson talk nuclear annihilation. How likely is it? How scared should you be? And what comes after? There's also episode 886 with David Farina, which delves into the wacky world of flat earthers. These episodes are great starting points, but you're sure to find deep, interesting, and thought-provoking topics throughout Jordan's catalog. Turn off the music and turn up the wisdom with The Jordan Harbinger Show. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. The beautifully eerie music you're hearing was created by Stephanie. You can listen to more of her talented work at soundcloud.com slash or by clicking the link in the description. Thank you, Stephanie, and keep up the amazing work. Also, to all of you who have your own paranormal experiences, ongoing or not, why not blog about them? Create your own website today at darknessprevails.org godaddy. No credit cards are required and it's free for a month. Try it today by clicking the card up top. Thanks. Traveling abroad? Well, you better be prepared to be creeped out abroad. This world is a strange one. Europe is a beautiful place, mist on the moors, rocky shores, and vast, oft-gray skies. But beyond that serene exterior lies hidden paranormal terrors, supernatural creatures, and psychopaths abound. With monsters like La Bite du Gévaudan to the haunting of Enfield, Europe is not lacking in its department of real horror. Sure, it's a nice place to visit, but who knows when you'll become the next werewolf chow, the next possessed little girl. Good thing I make a terrible girl. Anyway, enjoy these allegedly true scary stories from Europe. Number one, Scratches Outside, submitted by Annika P. I've been living in Cornwall for just over five years now. I've learned and heard of loads of different spirits and monsters in Cornish folklore. Well, I have unfortunately had a few experiences and actually have stories to tell. About four years ago, I learned about the beast of Bodmin. It is supposedly a large black wild cat 
who lives on the moors, a bodman. It's been said to have killed masses of livestock in the early 1900s and has turned its attention to people every once in a while. I've always been interested in cryptozoology, so this kind of thing really grabbed my attention and that's how I began doing my own research. After quite some time, I kind of got bored by the idea when the sighting of this creature began to dry up, so I lost interest in it for a while. Well, that was until I went on a camping trip with my family and some friends. I spent a couple of nights in an open field near the home of these family friends. It was very fun, and we were all having a good time. We just relaxed and shared a few stories by the campfire having drinks. That is, until one of my friends, let's call him Charlie, started telling us about how some of the trees in the neighboring woods had large scratches up them, up to six feet up the trunks. We all threw theories back and forth, and that's when Charlie brought up the beast of Bodman. Being the scaredy cat I am, I decided to go off to bed and ignore the conversation taking place outside my tent. The night was thankfully uneventful, and we woke up early for a hike on the moors, we had been given time to look around standing stones and some other landmarks. Then Charlie took me and my family to a small set of woods. After about 10 minutes of walking, we came to a group of trees, most of which had what I thought was claw marks. I knew what he was trying to show us, but both me and my younger brother, let's call him Ali, didn't want to stay around for too long. I'll be honest, I was scared. So after much pushing, my mom, me, and Ali left, and we started walking back towards camp. The thought of having a huge man-eating beast practically next door to our camp gave me chills, and it made me feel physically sick, nervous. I wanted to just go home. I didn't feel safe out there. On the last day of our camping trip, Ali and I decided we would stay together in the same tent. We were still really scared and did not want to sleep alone. We both lay there and were fast asleep in only a few minutes. My brother was only eight or nine at the time, but I felt a lot more comfortable knowing I had someone by my side. But this temporary feeling of security quickly left. At about two in the morning, I woke up and needed to use the bathroom, so I made my way slowly out of the tent, trying my best to not wake up Ali, and I did my business. To my surprise, I saw the glare of eyes in the torchlight. Now I was half asleep, and I thought it was my dog, Bella, so I called her over. But immediately after, I heard this low grumble, and instantly I shut up and reassessed the situation. I realized after a moment, I was looking at a large black shape, not a small white dog. I did not wait around trying to find out what it was going to do. I ran and jumped into the open tent and right onto my sleeping brother. I quickly zipped up the tent and grabbed hold of a now really angry and sleepy-eyed Ali. He later told me that he had been trying to push me away, tried to ask me what was going on, but I guess I wasn't really listening. I spent about half an hour listening out there for the noise again, but thank God it never happened. Ali eventually fell back to sleep but I knew I wouldn't be able to, not until I was back home and safe. I'd never been so happy as to see the sunrise the next day and to hear my parents waking up. Even still, I could not get the image of this massive black shadow in the woods, a shadow that was twice my size at least. Beast of Bodmin or not, 
There was some sort of monster in the woods, something that nearly had me cornered in the middle of the night. Anyway, the next day, needless to say, I did not tell anyone. Knowing my family, I knew that if they hadn't seen what I'd seen, then they would not believe me. I didn't even believe me, and I still don't sometimes. Or maybe that's the denial. We got home and I tossed away any thoughts of the camping trip, trying not to remember the creature I saw in the woods. I didn't think I'd ever have to remember or think about that trip again until three nights after our return home. Because I was sitting in bed watching TV, having hot chocolate, when I first heard it. The pat, pat, pat sound of something running back and forth in front of my house. It came again and again, night after night, no matter how much I tried to ignore it. So I observed the sound, and I realized it did not sound anything like a dog or a badger, not even a fox. All of these animals have non-retractable claws, which means I would have heard the sound of claws scraping against the road. But I didn't, and it was far too big to have just been a cat. It was very heavy, the padding sound of paws brushing away stones and dirt. When I gathered the courage to look outside, I was struck by the familiar shape. Out on the road was that same silhouette I had seen, a dark figure whose fur blended in with the night, a feline form that was far too big to be any house cat. It was stalking along the road, yellow eyes beaming under the moonlight. Immediately, I stepped away from the window, fear enveloping me. I could hear the sounds continue as I walked away, and they continued for several nights after that. But after a few weeks, it just stopped. I still have no idea what it was to this day, nor will I claim it to be anything. But I know what I heard, and I know what I saw. There is some sort of creature out there, something larger than the natural wildlife, something that looks predatory and dangerous. I'll be sure to keep these events in mind when and if I ever go camping again. And I really hope if anyone comes to Cornwall and goes camping here, that you take my experiences to heart. Just be careful out there. Number two, The Colt in the Woods, submitted by Jay. My name is Jay and I'm 17 years old and I'm from the UK. I had a close friend, let's call him John for privacy reasons. From the age of 13 to 16, he was my closest friends and we did everything together. We were both massively into wilderness survival, so we planned a trip to Scotland to spend a week alone in the forest to get a real survival experience. We were both really excited about it and we invested in all the equipment needed to bring with us as our parents wouldn't let us go without the correct safety measures. We ended up bringing a tent a small combat knife each, a camping stove, rations, and miscellaneous items such as ropes and blankets. After a long, dull 10-hour car journey, we eventually made it to the edge of the forest we were set to venture in. My heart raced with excitement as I stared into the forest ahead. It was lush green with flowers scattered around the forest floor. It was everything I imagined and more. We lugged our rucksacks onto our backs and started the long walk to where we planned to camp. It was a good eight mile hike to the lock. I believe it was called Lock and Rye or something along those lines. So we were ready for about a three to four hour walk 
but this didn't faze me at all as I was so excited and happy to be here. I was so ready to finally camp in the wild as where I live, there's no real places to camp away from people. John was equally as happy as me as we walked together with big smiles across our faces. After about an hour of walking, we stopped to take a break and we had something to eat and drink. We were sat on a large rock in the middle of a clearing. Surprisingly, it was a nice day and the sun was shining through the trees onto us. As we ate, we noticed a deer carcass about 20 feet away. Upon closer inspection, we found out that it was pretty fresh, a day or two old at the most, and the way it had died was most definitely not natural. A large, deep gash ran across its neck, and its hooves had been cut off, and its eyes had been removed, leaving deep, empty sockets with flies buzzing in and out. Me and John were curious to what had truly happened, but we just guessed it was some messed up kids or something, as after all, we were only an hour into the forest. After that encounter, we completely moved on and forgot about it. After another three hours of walking, we arrived at the lock. It was a beautiful, clear body of water with large fish swimming around underneath. We found a flat patch of land and proceeded to set up camp as the night drew ever closer. After about half an hour, we had our camp set up and a fire was made. After a quick meal, we went straight to bed as we were exhausted from such a long walk. For the first few days, nothing suspicious happened. We just built shelters, had fun, and hunted to our heart's content. But on the fourth night, I left the camp to go use the bathroom. After walking a good 50 meters away, I stopped and I began to do my business. When I looked up, I was horrified to see another deer, exactly the same as the one that me and John found on the way here. I was surprised and a little bit freaked out, so I ran back to camp, my heart racing, as I thought of all the reasons why I could have been there, who may have done it, and why it was so close to our camp. What was happening? What if whoever did that found us? Would we suffer a similar fate? I returned to find John putting the fire out, and he was about to get into his tent. I caught my breath, and John asked what was up. I grabbed him and jumped into the tent. What are you doing? John said in his usual loud voice. I hushed him and explained about the deer. I told him, we're not alone. I knew for a fact that that deer hadn't been there the day before. This was something that happened today. He laughed and tried to brush it off as a joke, thinking that I was just trying to scare or prank him. I tried telling him that I was serious, but he continued to laugh and said to prove it. There was no chance that I was going back in that direction. As John reached for the zipper of the tent, a faint chanting started. It must have been in the distance, but it was enough to spook us both. We both grabbed for our little combat knives and clutched them as if it would bring us safety. Slowly, the chanting grew louder and louder, and we decided that we needed to get the heck out of there. We grabbed our small emergency rucksacks and unzipped the tent door. To our horror, there were around four cloaked figures just 15 feet away from us. We both froze, petrified in terror, for a moment until one of the figures started to move towards us. We freaked out, and instantly we bolted away, sprinting into the woods as fast as our legs could carry us. But there were more figures on the other side of our tent. We dashed through as hard as we could, and then we ran for our lives. Once I thought we put some distance between the figures and us, I glanced back, 
only to see these freaks keeping pace with us, and they now revealed knives. The sight made my heart sink, and I pushed my legs as hard as I could. If we could not outrun them, we would be dead. The next time we looked back, we had finally lost them. My heart was pounding out of my chest. What kind of sick people would do that? Was it some kind of joke? I was glad that I escaped with my life, as I know that I'm not the strongest runner. John looked at me with fear still in his eyes and asked what the heck just happened. I couldn't reply as I was so exhausted from running. We spent the rest of that night hiding up in a tree until the sun rose. Then immediately we went back to the road and called to be picked up. We unfortunately had to leave all our gear behind. We didn't report it to the police. We hadn't seen any faces. We hadn't been hurt. And recalling the story in my head, it sounded like no one would believe us. To this day though, I still wonder what those people were actually doing out there. Was it simply animal sacrifices or worse? Maybe they were trying to make us the next sacrifices. Until now, I haven't been able to share my story as I thought no one would believe me. But after finding this community, I feel comfortable and safe to share my story with you. Be safe because there are very creepy and dangerous people out there. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer, Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play with my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Number three, you're not human. Submitted by Cat. Please know that my native language is not English, so bear with me. I'm a 13-year-old girl and have a few friends interested in the paranormal. I don't own my own Ouija board, so I used to make my own, just quickly scribbling it down on a sheet of paper. It was probably a bad idea, but at the time, I was certainly not expecting the worst. 
I had this friend, let's call her Sarah, who was very, very interested in using this Ouija board. Now, I had been checking on the internet to check the do's and don'ts with the board, and I knew what it meant. The number eight, going through each and every letter of the alphabet, going between some letters all the time, etc. These are big no-nos that you should watch out for. I prepared myself, made myself cautious, and one day my friend Sarah and I did a short session at school. My parents were going to a party or something that day, I don't remember exactly what, and I was home alone. So I decided to call Sarah over, and she replied that she'd be there in 10 minutes. Before she arrived, I got ready. I lit some candles and dimmed the lights in the living room. We made the Ouija board the same way that we always did, on a scrap of paper. For the pointer or planchette, whatever it's called, we ended up using a guitar pick. The first spirits we encountered were evil, I guess, showing the wrong signs that I previously listed. We rolled our eyes and said goodbye and made a new board each time, and we would burn the last one. Now, before I continue, I need to tell you this. When I was younger, I was on a vacation in Italy in Rome. There was a place we kept going back to. We called it the basement, where they sold some delicious food. But every time we went there, I would always see something in the corner of my eye. But when I turned around, there was nothing there. But I was certain it was there in my peripherals. Over time, I ended up getting a few good looks at the figure. It was a shadowy silhouette, and he appeared to be a man, probably middle-aged. I ended up calling him Jochim, and after that vacation, I did not stop seeing him. He seemed to follow us home, because I would see him in my bedroom sometimes, standing silently in the corner. It was creepy, but something told me he did not mean to harm me. Anyway, during our Ouija board session, I requested to talk to Jochim, and he delivered or at least pretended to. Something on the other end claimed to be Jochim. I smiled, believing it, and so did my friend. I told the entity that it was good to talk to you or something similar, and he slowly spelled out, good to talk to you too. We chatted for a while until we finally said goodbye. By now, I was very, very confident that the Ouija board was really working. For one, I know I wasn't moving it myself, and two, Sarah didn't know about Jochim, so how could she be faking it? A little bit later, we contacted something else. He said his name was Zoro, and that he was a demon. He said he wasn't evil, but demon and evil go together, naturally. We were, of course, skeptic, but we gave him the benefit of the doubt. He went on to tell us that he was on a mission, just passing by, that he was in the so-called second world, we were confused, but we didn't say anything. I have no idea what was wrong with me. I wanted to test him with a question that only I would know. So I asked him who is my master, referring to my Taekwondo sensei. That was what I meant, but Zoro said, without hesitation, the darkness. Immediately, this freaked me out. Without us asking another question or replying, Zoro moved on and said, Neither of you are human. I asked, what do you mean? I was completely confused and a little bit creeped out. I felt like we stumbled onto something far more ancient and powerful than us. Then immediately after, Zoro was the one that said goodbye. Later that night, I told my friend Ellie about this and she freaked out. She told me very sternly to never mess around with the Ouija board. I promised that I wouldn't. 
Sarah pouted for a while, but has forgiven me now. I've never heard of Zoro again, and this may sound strange, but I don't think he was lying. I think he knows something deep that I don't, that humans don't. I don't know for sure, but what I do know is that those things I used to see out of the corner of my eye, they're back, and they seem darker than before. Number four, my scary stories from Ireland. Submitted by Matt O'Neill. The following are several of my experiences. I'm a 28 year old guy from Northern Ireland. This story happened when I was 14 years old and I still can't explain what happened. I had just got home from school for the day. My parents were both at work both sets of neighbors either side of my parents' four-story mid-terrace house were at work as well, as their cars weren't there. And lastly, my older brother was at college and was not due home until early evening, which was around the time my parents should be home as well. My bedroom was on the top floor of the house, and my brother's room was right next to mine. I was lying on my bed, listening to music, when I heard someone running hard from the front door of the house, all the way up each flight of stairs, down the hallway and ending just outside my bedroom. I had nothing to be suspicious of, so I assumed it was my brother being home early. So I shouted to him, hey Sam, how's it going? But I did not get a reply. I shouted again, okay then, still no reply. I was getting annoyed at this point, so I got up from my bed, opened my bedroom door, then I opened my brother's, but there was no one there. No one in the hallway, no one in my brother's room, no one in the whole house after a thorough search. This scared me a lot, so I ended up shutting myself in my bedroom and locking the door until I was sure someone else was home. Better yet, after searching the house from top to bottom, all the doors were locked. No one without a set of keys would have been able to get inside, but that wasn't the only weird experience. I mean, just living in that place, there were always these feelings of dread, just out of nowhere. I never felt it before living there or after living there, just at that house. This next story happened a year or two ago when I lived in a two bedroom bungalow with a really big garden. I really lucked out getting this place because the guitarist in the gent metal band I was in invested in a small bungalow just up the road from him. That way we could be closer for practices. I'm the drummer in the band, by the way. The previous owner of this bungalow was a 108-year-old man who I think died in the house. The place was absolutely creepy and old-looking. When I moved in there, there was this old worn-out armchair left there. I assumed it had been the old man's, that I guess his remaining family didn't want to take it. I heard the occasional knock and creak late at night, but I mostly put that down to the place being old, obviously, and unused for a whole year before I moved in. So one day, I was assembling my drum kit in the dining room, and I set up one of my tom drums face up on the seat of the armchair. My friends and I were hanging out. My friend Timmy was in the kitchen getting a drink. Now, to get to the kitchen, you have to pass the green armchair in the dining room with the drum on it. I got up to get a drink, and he and I crossed paths as he was leaving the kitchen. That's when Timmy stopped dead in his tracks while I was facing away from the drum on the armchair, and he pointed in the direction on the chair behind me. What we saw, we both will never forget. What we saw was one of my heavy drums, which is made of wood and metal, toppled over, but not like it fell. 
like something picked it up and very slowly put it on the floor. Its movement was slow and deliberate, and there was no mistaking it. Both of us know what we saw. When it was on the ground, it didn't even make a banging sound like it would if it fell over. To this day, I don't know what that was. The following story happened when I was 22, and I was going through the rebellious phase of drinking and partying a lot, not being very responsible. I was at my friend's house. They had a newly rented house in a pretty rough area of South Belfast. For anyone who doesn't know about all that mad stuff that has gone on in Northern Ireland over the past few hundred years, let's just say there's a lot of intolerance between the Catholics and the Protestants by each other. I should say now that I'm neither Catholic nor Protestant myself. And if I'm ever asked about my religious beliefs, I always respond with Jedi, just to screw with people. Even still, when they hear my last name of O'Neill, it's the most Catholic sounding name in the eyes of a Protestant. Northern Ireland has several of what we call paramilitary groups, such as the IRA for Catholics and UDA for Protestants. Anyway, on to the story. The location where my friends had just moved into was a Protestant area, and it was not the safest for an O'Neill like me. We had ourselves a party, a few others came around for drinks and whatever. The evening went to head with no issues, so I crashed on somebody's bedroom floor because someone already got to the bed before me. I eventually got to sleep and all was good, until I was woken by a deafening parade of banging on the front door. The next thing I heard was my friend who rented the place was struggling with the door. And then bang, four absolutely huge men claiming they were from the UDA stormed the house, saying that we had made too much noise the previous night. One of them, who I assumed was the leader of the bunch, stormed upstairs and burst into the bedroom where I was laying on the floor half asleep. What's your name? He demanded. Matt O'Neill, I stammered, completely taken by surprise. He took a picture of my face and said, never come back here, not if you like being alive. Then before turning to leave, he brandished a massive knife. I didn't move from my spot, not until him and his gang had been gone for a good hour. Honestly, it was the first time someone actually threatened my life. Needless to say, I didn't go back after that. It's just crazy how much hatred people can have for each other, just based on what they believe. So to the scary paramilitary door buster, let's never meet again. And those are my haunting and creepy experiences in Ireland. And number five, it must have been something submitted by Faye Dora. Hello all, my name is Ellis and I live in Sweden. I don't remember exactly when it happened, but this happened about a year ago. It was nighttime and I was sitting in my bed watching YouTube. It was storming outside and it was around 8 p.m. I paused the video I was watching. Hearing the strong wind and rain made me a bit worried. When all of a sudden, I heard two loud banging noises from my window. It was like someone punched the window two times fast and hard. I quickly looked over at my window but there was nothing there. After staring at it for a minute or two, I got up and opened my window. I listened for running footsteps. It has happened before, children smacking my window and running away just to be little jerks. So I thought it was them who hit my window, but there were no footsteps and no one outside, no trace that anyone had been there. 
I then decided to take my flashlight that I keep in my room to see if I could see anyone or anything that could have hit my window. I shone my flashlight around, but I could not see anything again. But then, towards the graveyard nearby, I swear I saw eyes. They were low to the ground, so I assumed it was a cat. So I walked to my brother's room, and I asked him if he had heard anything running past his window, but he said he hadn't heard anything himself. So I go back to my room, confused after some thinking. I ask myself this, if it were the children, why would they do it now? It's storming and raining so bad outside. And then I had a very chilling thought. If those really were the eyes of a cat out in the open, why did it stop to look at me? It was raining, it was pouring down. I was certain that a cat would just run off and find shelter, not just stand there in the middle of a wet and soaked, almost flooding graveyard staring at me. Heck, any animal would have gone to find shelter instead, but there it was, eyes glowing in the dark. Later, when I was trying to go to bed, I just kept thinking about it, and I couldn't fall asleep. The next day, our power went out, and my mother tried to do something about it, and it somewhat worked, but only in my brother's bedroom. Nothing much happened that day, and I did keep thinking about the night before, though. It was difficult not to, Fast forward to that night. I still couldn't sleep. I was scared, and I honestly felt like my life was in danger. I don't know how long it took me to finally fall asleep, sleep filled with nightmares. Eventually, I woke up to the sound of banging at my window once more. Goosebumps enveloped my entire body, and I jumped up. I looked over to the window to see those same eyes as before, now at my eye level suddenly race away from the window. I didn't sleep in my room after that. In the morning, the power to all the rooms came back on and I felt a bit better. I still don't know what it was that made those noises on my window, what that thing was with those eyes, but it must have been something, something that wasn't human, something that may not even be of this world. But one thing's for sure, it really did happen and unfortunately, I did not imagine it. Europe is an ancient place with many vastly different cultures. Each culture has its own set of beliefs and mythology, but that just means there are dozens of different monsters, ghosts, and ghouls across Europe, each one waiting for the right unsuspecting person, someone unfamiliar with the local folklore and legends to become their next prey. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. And don't forget to send us your Native American and Mexico scary stories at darknessprevails.org or go to darknessprevails.org slash GoDaddy to start your website or blog today. Tell the world about your paranormal experiences. Thanks.